When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. League of Wonder, a Glisten Plus production. Episode 1, An Eye in the Dark. The gentle touch of Dorothy's fingers made it difficult to keep my eyes open. I curled tighter into the blue and white gingham blanket draped across her lap, my nose rubbing up against my stubby, barely-there tail. I dreamed of running through an endless field of poppies with my girl at my side. They were sweet thoughts of the life that I knew we would share once we reached. I snapped awake. My ears shot back to get a good listen to the distant sound. Are you okay, Kip? Dorothy put her yellow pastel stick down on the Persian carpet. I bounded out of her lap and over the half-finished drawing of a forest road. I scampered over to the second-floor window and peeked over the sill. Scanning the London street below, I spied a trio of horse and carriages clattering swiftly down the cobblestone street. Each one had the insignia of the Metropolitan Police Service painted on its polished wooden door. They continued down Baker Street before turning out of view. I relaxed. The noise had been nothing to worry about. Everything outside was just as it should be. A gentle drizzle fell on the quiet block. Candles flickered in bedroom windows of the brick building across the street and a single green eye hung like an apparition in the darkness. A green eye? That couldn't be right. I squinted. Perhaps it was the glint of a gas lamp reflected on a copper pot hanging in a neighbor's kitchen. Just an odd optical illusion playing tricks on my senses. Then, the green eye blinked. A shiver of panic shot down my back. The shadowed watcher turned to stare directly at me. My heart was beating fast now. What was it? Then the creature or ghost or whatever it was dissolved into the shroud of night. Come sit down, silly dog. There's nothing to worry about. Dorothy smiled as she brushed a pigtail from her face. I turned back to stare out the window until I was sure that the green eye was gone. Only then did I head back to Dorothy with my shoulders held high and a tough expression on my face. I would protect her at all costs. Who is my brave little Kip? Dorothy pulled me in for a snuggle. She still saw me the same way the rest of the world did, as a cute puppy, even though I hadn't been a puppy for years. In fact, it seemed everyone thought I was good at one thing and one thing only, looking adorable. If you needed to bring a smile to a baby's face, there was no one better than Kip. The coldest heart would melt if it got within ten feet of Kip wearing a bow. All I needed to do was wag my tiny tail and cock my head to make strangers stop in the street and coo. No one recognized me for anything else, and it made my tail fur bristle. But at the same time, I understood their perspective. It was very hard to be taken seriously when you could fit comfortably inside a picnic basket. What do you think of my drawing? I think it's really quite good. I rubbed the top of my head against Dorothy's forearm 
as she began to color the brick road on her canvas yellow. It feels like a place I visited, long ago, in a dream. Oh, I know what you're trying to tell me, Kip. That the next time I take a walk down this road, you would like to be by my side. I think that sounds like a grand idea. I should like no other company but you. In the short time I had known her, I had grown to love her more than anyone I had ever met. Most certainly more than my former owner. Up until three months ago, I had spent my days as the furry trophy pet of a French duke with a taste for soft cheese and can-can girls. Although the duke's grand apartment had looked out upon the Eiffel Tower and the giant Ferris wheel that marked the entrance to the 1900 World's Fair, Exposition Universale, I was rarely allowed to leave. It had been a very dull life of grooming, dining, and more grooming. I found it dreadfully boring. The rest of my days would have been more the same if the Duke hadn't fallen upon hard times after spending a great deal of his fortune staging a poorly received musical in the Windmill Theater of Montmartre Paris's art district. He was forced to sell off many of his prized possessions, including a blurry painting of water lilies and a diamond necklace that once belonged to an Indian princess. Then, one night, while dining at Maxime's Bistro, the Duke discovered that his wallet was too empty to pay the bill. Evelyn and Archie Gale, who were sitting at the next table with their daughter, Dorothy, offered to pick up the tab in exchange for, well, me. If the Duke hadn't ordered that extra portion of sautéed snails, I might still be living in Paris, never having known what it felt like being loved with complete abandon. How lucky I was. I finished nuzzling with Dorothy and then pulled away. Off on your evening prowl. I gave her a quick bark to let her know she was right. Come back when you're finished for a good snuggle. Each night before bed, I would walk the perimeter of the flat to ensure that every window was closed and gave each a sniff to ensure that no unwelcome intruders had crept inside. I'll be right here waiting for you. I exited the bedroom and walked down the steps. When I reached the first floor, I continued down the hall to the sitting room where Dorothy's parents, Evelyn and Archie Gale, were hunched over a stack of foreign newspapers and a map of the world. They were talking very softly, as if they were afraid that the crushed velvet wallpaper might have ears. Archie looked over and spotted me at the bottom of the steps. A big smile crossed his face. Oh, hey there, Kip. You feeling a bit peckish? I hadn't been feeling hungry until he mentioned it. But now that he did, my stomach gave a friendly little growl. Come on over here, little guy. You want a bit of scone? Archie leaned down with a handful of crumbs while Evelyn continued to look at the map. I hurried over and scarfed up the bits of blackberry and crumbled biscuit. It was better than I expected. I looked at his palm and then the floor, hoping there was more. From above, I heard Evelyn start to tap her finger on the map. We're going about this all wrong. The Temple of Bastet in northern Egypt is rumored to have a compass that can lead to magical objects. I looked over to see the permanent resident of this flat on Baker Street, a gentleman detective known as Sherlock Holmes, standing by the fireplace with a cup of Darjeeling tea in his hand. The Gales and I had been staying with him for the last week, hoping that his brilliance might aid us in our quest. We should go there and retrieve it. It may be our only chance. I think we should avoid that. Besides, we found the other slipper without it. Now, I love to chew on a nice shoe or sock every now and again, but 
I had yet to figure out what was so special about this pair of silver slippers that the gales were racing around the globe to retrieve. The only thing I had ever seen a pair of slippers do was warm, cold toes on a winter's night and taste good. The gales had already found one of the slippers in India before they brought me into the family in Paris. Then they had spent the last months crisscrossing Europe looking for the other slipper with no success. I had just hoped they would find it soon so they could travel back to their home in a place called Kansas, which sounded wonderful to me. Who's that? It's so late. <laughs> Always so jumpy. Relax. It's Watson. Sherlock swung the door open to reveal Dr. Watson, a frazzled and frantic man two-thirds his height. <sighs> the police are swarming the Tower of London. There's a robbery in progress. <gasps> the slipper! Sherlock, you said it would be safe there. I'm sure this is a mere coincidence. Glinda warned us about this. She said that we would be up against someone smarter than the wonderful wizard and more devious than the Witch of the West. I'm terribly confused. And I must confess, I was too. We need to go to the tower right now and make sure the slipper is safe. Evelyn scooped her jacket off the back of the chair. Archie was already two steps ahead of her. He moved to the kitchen door and called inside to the housekeeper. Mrs. Hudson, would you make sure that Dorothy goes to bed at the top of the hour? He didn't wait for a reply. He was already putting on his shoes and collecting his belongings. We'll bring Kip. He's got a great sense of smell, and he's tougher than he looks. Well, it was about time someone recognized my talents, but there wasn't time to celebrate this small victory. I could do this. They needed a dog like me. Strong, scrappy, and easy to pick up. Evelyn scooped me up under her arm and sped out the front door. I still had a lot to prove. The race to the Tower of London was a blur of gas lamps and sharp turns. I had to dig my claws into the leather seats to keep from being knocked back and forth like a billiard ball. Watson's voice shouted from the coachman's seat. We're almost there! Come on, girls! Move those hooves! I hopped into Evelyn's lap for a better view out the carriage window. Looming large beyond the Victorian cottages and cupolas of brick was the Tower of London which in spite of its name was far more than just a single tower. It was a medieval castle of many buildings surrounded by a high stone wall and moat on the edge of the Thames. The horses galloped toward the drawbridge where a dozen metropolitan police carriages were already parked. Coppers with lanterns and billy clubs in hand swarmed the premises like fleas on the unwashed coat of a street mutt. Whoa, girls! Watson pulled the coach to a stop in the middle of the commotion. Watson bounded down from the front seat to open the coach's passenger door, but Evelyn had already swung it wide open by the time he had arrived. I leaped out, my paws landing on the wet cobblestone. Archie and Sherlock followed behind. We moved for the foot of the drawbridge, but before reaching it, an officer held one hand aloft preventing us from going further. A second man approached Sherlock. He had a face that reminded me of the rats that crawled out of the Paris sewers during the hot summer months. We were doing just fine here without you, Sherlock. Step aside, Lestrade. The Queen is storing something in the tower that belongs to my friends, and they'd like to check on its safety. 
And I suppose you have proof of this preposterous story? Inspector Lestrade pretzeled his face into a twisted scowl, but before he could say anything else... Archie reached into his coat pocket and removed an envelope with a wax seal on the front. He handed it to Lestrade, who, after spying the emblem, opened the envelope with trembling hands. The inspector read the parchment inside, then stepped aside. <clears throat> My apologies. Evelyn, Sherlock, and Archie swept past the befuddled inspector. We crossed over the drawbridge and into the tower's courtyard. As soon as we did, I wished I was back on the other side of the moat. An eerie chill hung over the place like a fog that no wind could blow away. I looked up to see a row of six ravens perched along the battlement walls. They stared silently back down at me. There was a desolate feeling of emptiness that lingered on the grounds of the rumored-to-be-haunted castle. Evelyn led our group straight for the White Tower in the center of the inner ward. Inspector Lestrade was tagging behind. The drawbridge was already closed for the night when the guard found the door to the White Tower picked. I looked up to see Sherlock rolling his eyes. He seemed to care very little about what Lestrade said. I stayed close to Evelyn's heels as she climbed the oak steps to the tower's arched entrance. Once inside, she turned to her right and started down a long hall. I followed Evelyn around the corner into a chapel. The moon streamed through the stained glass windows, painting wavering portraits of the Virgin Mary and St. John the Evangelist on the polished floor. Evelyn moved down the aisle, past the altar, and stopped before one of the stone columns at the far end of the chapel. She turned back to Sherlock. Open it. I watched as Sherlock hurried to assist. Sherlock placed his palms on two bricks of the column, one just above his hat and the other next to his knee. Then he pushed. A portion of the stone column swung open, revealing a spiral staircase leading downward. Our group slipped inside the stone column and began a descent into the bowels of the tower, with only the glow of Archie's lantern to light the way. After making five circles down, the stairs deposited us in a dungeon chamber. I shivered. It felt like winter in this windowless room beneath the earth. Archie's lantern cast a warm glow on the center of the room where, sitting on the top of a pedestal carved from marble, was an open brass chest. Evelyn ran across the room. She looked inside the chest. The slipper is gone! I bounded up to the top of the marble pedestal and took a peek inside. It was filled with dazzling treasures, including a ruby-encrusted scepter, a golden chalice, and a steel sword with the words, Take me up, engraved on its blade. I could only wonder, why had the thief taken a single slipper but left all of these far more valuable treasures behind? What was so special about this slipper? Then, before I hopped back down to the ground, I spotted something beside the chest that didn't look like it belonged. A square parcel of paper with a single letter on it. I reached down and picked it up gently with my lips. What did you find, Kip? I dropped the card into her hand. Sherlock scooped it up before she could take a gander. He examined it himself. The letter M. I should have known. Archie, Evelyn, Lestrade, and I all looked at Sherlock with no clue as to what he was talking about. Moriarty. 
my old nemesis. It seems as if he might be involved in all of this. As the others continued to talk, my attention was drawn away. I had caught a scent. I was surprised I hadn't noticed it before. It was the overpowering aroma of cinnamon. Unless someone was making a late-night serving of French toast for a dungeon guest, the scent was completely out of place. I followed the powerful smell to the far end of the chamber, where the light of Archie's lantern didn't reach. I raised my nose and caught a second waft of cinnamon. As my eyes adjusted to the dark, I realized that I was standing at the foot of another secret staircase. I looked to the top of it. There, I spied a figure dressed in black from head to toe. From this distance, it was hard to tell how tall or muscular the figure was, but it was quite clear what the figure held in their hand. A silver slipper. Then, the figure spotted me and began to run. I had to alert the others. What is it, Camp? I wished I could tell them what I smelled, what I saw. Camp found something! I sprinted after the escaping thief. I ran with the speed of a much larger dog. I had to, my tiny legs moving doubly fast. I had no idea why this piece of footwear was so important, but if the Gales wanted it, I was going to get it back. As I reached the top of the slender staircase, I could see that a stone wall was sliding back into place. The secret door to the staircase was closing. If I didn't make it through, I would have no idea how to open it again, and the thief would disappear into the night. I made a springing leap, pushing off with my hind legs. I narrowly made it through the gap, and the tip of my barely there tail got nipped between the heavy stone door and the stone wall. If I had had a longer tail, I most certainly wouldn't have had it any longer. Evelyn, Archie, and the others were trapped behind the stone wall. I was alone. I glanced around to see that I was in a prison tower that had long been put out of use. Empty wrist and ankle shackles dangled from rusty chains embedded in the walls. Two pairs of children's boots lay next to a pile of bones in the corner. There was no time to be frightened by this creepy place, though. I had a thief to catch. Although I could no longer see the figure in black, I could smell him. The overwhelming scent was like a glowing trail I could follow. I bolted out and over a barred door that had long since rotted off its hinges. My paws pounded against the cold floor. My mind could only focus on one thing, moving faster. All I could do was focus on catching the stranger, even though I had no idea what to do once I caught up with him. The scent was getting stronger. Ahead, I could see an open window and a small pouch on the ground. But the window was where the scent ended. I came to a halt by the small leather satchel. I stuck my nose into the bag. Ugh! I tripped backward from the strong aroma. The bag was filled with ground cinnamon, and now it was hard to smell anything else. No! I had been tricked. The stranger had carried the pouch on purpose. It was a clever way to mask the thief's true scent, to make sure that the bloodhounds, or a Yorkshire terrier like myself, wouldn't be able to follow him. I looked out the window to see a steep drop into the courtyard below. There was no sign of the shrouded thief. Where had they gone? Perhaps the thief had not jumped out of the window at all, but was still in the castle somewhere. Maybe just behind me. I spun fast to find... No one. I looked down the long hallway that branched off in three directions. 
I sucked in a long whiff of the air, but couldn't smell anything worth following. Darn! The only aroma I caught was that of the approaching gales, who had finally figured out a way to open the secret door. Evelyn and Archie ran up behind me, out of breath. Did you catch him, Kip? I slumped my shoulders in disappointment, then shook my head. I had been so close. Oh, it's okay. You tried your best. We searched the tower for an hour afterwards, then the inner ward until the moon was high. Finally, the outer walls by the moat until sunup. But the thief had vanished, and the slipper along with him. All the while, the ravens of the White Tower laughed at us ominously. League of Wonder, starring Donovan Patton as Kip, Makoto M. as Lulu, Eric Peterson as Mr. Toad, Brian Stepanek as the Talking Cricket, Robbie Jarvis as Wit, Olive Epstein as Dorothy Gale, Santa Moses as Evelyn Gale, and Matthew McRae as Archie Gale. Written and directed by Adam J. Epstein. Executive produced by Sheila Stepanek and Adam J. Epstein. Edited and mixed by Christopher Sousa. Cover art by Alexander Garcia. Additional voices by Scott Peet, Daphne Bloomer, Michael Nering, Adam Epstein, and Suzanne Hesseloff. League of Wonder is a Glisten Plus production.